You're listening to Fueled, a Finstamaker podcast, and I'm your host, Catherine Finstamaker. Today, we have Dax Duet with us. Dax is an engineer director with 22 years of professional experience in design, planning, and project management. He has designed highways, roadways, drainage systems, interchanges, roundabouts, standard intersections, and various site developments. Mr. Duet also has numerous years of experience in the bidding and construction administration of projects. During his tenure here at Finstamaker, Dax has performed multiple reviews of construction plans to determine constructability of designs under actual field conditions and live traffic loading. Additionally, Mr. Duet managed the preparation of over 13 transportation feasibility studies for the Louisiana Department of Transportation and Development. These feasibility studies were conducted for a wide range of transportation projects throughout the state of Louisiana to include roadway improvements, interstate highway interchanges, and grade-separated bridge structures. Mr. Duet has also led the preparation of geometric line and grade studies to support more than five environmental assessment documents documents in accordance with the National Environmental Policy Act guidelines. He has managed various multidisciplinary projects and performed roadway corridor studies, traffic safety analyses, and feasibility studies, which encompass design, right-of-way, environmental, and utility work. Mr. Duet was previously a city engineer responsible for roadways, drainage, development review, municipal code development, utility systems, and various other municipal and engineering tasks. Throughout his career, Dax has worked with various local, state, and federal agencies. A lifelong resident of Acadiana, Dax was born and raised in St. Martinville, Louisiana, and currently resides in Youngsville, Louisiana. Thank you for being on Fueled today, Dax. You're welcome, Catherine. So today, and in line with the season focused on infrastructure, um, when you hear the word infrastructure, what comes to your mind? Well, when I think of infrastructure, I think of the um, basic physical and organizational structures of facilities needed for operation of our society, you know, so as civil engineers, I think of infrastructure as things that you and I may be more familiar with, roads and buildings and water and sewer treatment plants, electrical systems, and so much more. Those things we rely on every day. Many times we don't really notice, but uh, they're they're a necessity. So really it's those physical facilities that we as a society need every day for our basic needs. So are all of those facilities, are those under a certain classification of municipal infrastructure? Is that a classification of engineering, like municipal engineering or municipal infrastructure? No, I don't believe so. I mean, um, you have different governmental agencies that regulate maybe different components of these infrastructures, but in general, uh, these are infrastructures shared by all. It could be private utilities. It could be um, publicly owned utilities. Um, it, it somewhat depends, uh, but uh, no. Different agencies uh, manage their own um, facilities, like for example, here in Lafayette, We have Lafayette Utility Systems, which Mm -hmm. manage uh, electrical and water and sewer. Okay. Whereas you have your private utilities, uh, maybe like Cox or AT&T or uh, other utilities. Um, um, But uh, no, so it just depends. 
Okay. So when we talk about local infrastructure um, or even statewide, Louisiana receives subpar ratings in the ASCE reports. Do you have any comment on that? Well, you're right. You know, I, I, I'm a member of ASCE. It's American Society of Civil Engineers. I was a past uh, president of the Cadiana section uh, and also on the state board. And ASCE, the Louisiana branch recently, I guess it was about maybe three, four years ago, give or take, followed uh, alongside the uh, National Society in terms of grading our infrastructure. They called it the report card. I agree with you. Um, our infrastructure is subpar. Uh, back in 2017, our infrastructure report card for Louisiana, as I mentioned, was performed by the American Society of Civil Engineers. Mm -hmm. And that study was prepared by numerous engineers from around the state who specialize in various fields of our infrastructure. The goal of this report card was to give people like our legislators, uh, governing agencies, and generally to the public, mm -hmm. an overall sense of our state of the infrastructure. The report card looked at various elements such as uh, aviation, bridges, looked at our drinking water, our ports and waterways, levee systems, roads, solid waste and wastewater. And uh, the report gave us a D plus. If you remember from school, a D <laughs> was really not considered to be good. Yeah. And I think that the general public would agree with this assessment as they go about their daily activities and notice our decaying infrastructure, whether it's potholes and roads or it's problems with our drinking water. And you hear a lot of these things on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, our infrastructure is generally poorly maintained, inaccurately funded, and in general, maybe not all the time designed to meet tomorrow's demands. But you know, as I've been in this business for over 21 years, I've come to realize that we've generally tried to do a good job mm -hmm. in designing and building infrastructure to meet the demands of the future. However, we all know that money is what is needed, and that is something that there's just not a lot out there in terms of funding. I have heard the public be very cynical towards the fact that we all pay taxes with an expectation that projects will be built with that money as needed to handle the future and that there's a lot of waste out there with funding. There may be some truth to that, but you know, in general, good, honest efforts I've seen in my career through many of the clients and government agencies I've worked with have made genuine efforts to do the right thing. But as you know, there has to be a balance yeah. between the needs and wants and safety and costs. You know, I've heard this uh, saying before, we can design a road with the needed elements to meet future demands. But if the estimated cost for that road is much more than the money you have, what do you do? Yeah. You know, do you wait until you have all the money to build what you truly need, which may take years and potentially risk the funding you have being swallowed up by some other need at the time? Or do you build a road now and satisfy the public and giving them what they want, but then you have to deal with the fact that you're not building it to what it needs to be because you don't have all the money you need at the beginning. So this is something we deal with all the time. We try to be mindful and try to balance. We recognize as engineers that we don't have open checkbooks for construction of costs of projects. But at the end of the day, in general, most of our projects are designed for future needs. And then yeah. we let the agencies decide on what they can afford. So whenever you do your design process, do you start with the ideal? For example, if you're going to design a roadway or an interchange or something, do you go into it with the limitations? So like your first cut, does it already have the limitations built in or do right. you start with an ideal scenario and then like whittle away at it based on available sure. monies? Sure. Very rarely do we start off with money in mind. I okay. know that sounds a little opposite. However, from an engineering standpoint, we need to design roads, for example, like your, your example you're stating, that is safe. Right. You know, that's our first mission as engineers is to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. 
So what governs our designs needs to be code and safety and proven engineering philosophies or engineering way of doing things, so to speak. Okay. And the project's going to cost what it's going to cost. Okay. Now, surely our we, we design based on the code and based on public safety first, what's needed. And then when that construction cost comes out, we, you know, as, as consultants, you know, as engineers, our job is to educate the client or, or the public body and give, in, and give them options. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, the option, anything relating to reducing safety is certainly um, non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. So yeah, maybe the first cut, we get an idea of what this project's going to cost. But typically, for example, we'll have a client that says we want to build a road from here to there. So it's kind of given. You know, if you need five lanes and it's a mile long and you need drainage and things of that nature, whether you want to build it in concrete or asphalt, all those things are discussed in the process and the price is going to be what it's going to be. And then the client decides if they have that funding, if they want to break the project up into phases, where they build pieces at a time because of funding. So all those options are on the table. Okay. Well, that's an interesting process. Speaking of that process, you have several projects that are actively underway. You have the US-90, the I-49 South Albertsons Parkway to Ambassador Caffrey design build, the Kali Saloon road widening intersection improvements, construction engineering and inspection, and the I-49 South at Virat School Road. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you face in juggling those projects? Sure. I've been fortunate to work um, and currently I'm still working on several of these three projects you mentioned here in Lafayette. Uh, these are three significant projects for transportation in the Lafayette Parish area. Uh, the first one is the uh, US 90 Albertson Parkway design build project. I am the design manager on the job. A um, little unique uh, in that this project, uh, a typical project, is you design it first. As far as the phases go, you design it first, okay. you bid it, meaning you solicit pricing from contractors, which is several months of a process, and then you build it. The design build process is a little bit different. Um, We eliminate the bidding process. So we're actually designing as they are building. So the presumption is that we're going to save time. So uh, this project was very unique for our staff. Uh, Several people in our company worked on it. So um, I want to definitely shout out to each of them uh, for a job well done because we're we're finishing the project. We're in literally the last week. Uh, sorry to all of you who are listening that had to endure the construction for the last four years, but um, <laughs> I think this project is going to be a great project for the area. You know, the U.S. 90 corridor is designated as a future interstate. So as monies become available, the process of converting existing U.S. 90 to an interstate, excuse me, is going on. And this particular project uh, included uh, the construction of two bridges, and an o- two overpass structures, uh, bridge structures, excuse me, and an interchange. Um, very complex project, very um, interesting to say the least. But uh, so for the last four years of our lives here, it's been pretty intense um, because the contractor calls several times a day. But anyway, a great infrastructure project for the Acadiana area. And I'm proud to say I've been involved with it along as well as many people here. And also our sub-consultants, uh, Huvon Associates here in Lafayette, a great bridge engineering firm and some of our other sub-consultants from around the area. So did you find that design build what did you think about the pacing? Was it more satisfying of a process or like how was it different for you in your Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it did push the staff. It did push the limits. It's, but it's like any project, you know, the longer you keep a project in house, mm-hmm. uh, the more it uh, scope creep uh, comes okay. into play. 
Uh, the nice thing with design builds, there's no time for scope creep. It's moving pretty fast. Uh, so um, there's some pros and cons that I've experienced, and I'm sure I'll, I'll be given an opportunity to kind of um, maybe be involved in some um, future conferences to maybe discuss my lessons learned or experiences in design build. Uh, but, you know, as funding becomes um, less and less, um, as the, the public demands uh, more, uh, and, and in short amounts of time, uh, I think design bill is something that's not going to go away. Um, it has its applications and it's not the right fit for every type of project, but definitely was deemed the right fit for this project. So, um, I think when it's all said and done, it will have been a success, but, um, you know, the next project, uh, that's actually under construction is, as you mentioned, the Collie Saloon, everybody's familiar with Collie Saloon. Collie Saloon is a major arterial of Lafayette mm -hmm. and, um, uh, we're working on the last section of it uh, that is uh, a, currently a two-lane road. The rest mm -hmm. of um, Kali Saloon is a multi-lane road. And, you know, that road carries anywhere from twenty to 25,000 cars a day. And so oh, wow. it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant roadway. Um, we've just completed Verrod School Road here in Lafayette. So uh, the, the, the public is about ready to experience uh, another major construction project. So um, that was an interesting project. Um, that was a typical project in that it was a design bid bill, as I previously mentioned. Okay. Uh, so we designed it first. Mm -hmm. uh, our client was the Laffey Consolidated Government, and uh, we went through the bidding process. And mm -hmm. we're currently um, constructing the first phase of the project, uh, which includes a new multi-lane roundabout, the first in Lafayette. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that's going to work out. As you know, I'm a big <laughs> roundabout fan. Yeah. And uh, it also includes a five-lane bridge. Uh, and then we're about to start the construction of the second phase, which goes all the way to Ambassador Caffrey. So we think we're going to be starting next month. But anyway, great project. And the last project you have on the list is a project we're designing right now with uh, uh, another engineering firm, Huvon Associates, uh, Verot School Road Interchange. As you know, Verot School Road intersects US 90. Mm -hmm. uh, another great infrastructure project, roadway transportation to enhance traffic movement. Mm -hmm. And all this all relates to converting US 90 to an interstate. So the okay. concept there is to um, design an overpass structure at Verrott School Road with an intersection, mm -hmm. a grade-separated intersection. So we're working on designing that. It also includes a multi-lane roundabout. Obviously, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I've, in my past work history, I've, I've done a lot of roundabouts, and I'm a big fan of them. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that they are a, um, a great tool mm -hmm. for a type of intersection. So wherever we can put them at uh, in the early stages of design, um, if they work, uh, we definitely uh, is our first choice for the most part. So Yeah, I think I read an article once upon a time about some city and perhaps it was in Canada, but it was like they had replaced all of their lighted and I don't even know if you call them that, but signalized lighted, intersections, signalized right. intersections mm -hmm. with roundabouts. Mm -hmm. And the reduction in accidents was significant. Like it was some type of report, definitely a mm -hmm. proponent of roundabouts. So do you see that for Lafayette? I mean, I guess in the near future to be like replacing all these signalized intersections, like can we expect to see some of that or... Maybe not so much. It, it it doesn't work for all the intersections. I mean, your, okay. your, your major intersections, for example, for if you're familiar with, uh, for example, Johnson and Ambassador Caffrey, okay. your, your traffic count is too high. Okay. So a roundabout would not work. Um, okay. Um, so maybe that was so, like a rural yeah. place. Not necessarily. Or... It just depends on the traffic counts. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, Lafayette and 
especially uh, Youngsville, where I currently live. Uh, Youngsville itself has, I believe, close eight roundabouts. I may be off, but okay. uh, um, we have no signalized intersections in Youngsville. Uh, Lafayette currently is studying right now, um, has uh, engineering consultants. We're one of them uh, studying a total of 60 locations in Lafayette for potential roundabouts, converting really? existing intersections. It doesn't work for every type of intersection. It's okay. a function of the traffic, and there's some other variables that are in play here. But, you know, you mentioned safety. Uh, the Federal Highway Administration put out a report that uh, roundabouts are about 75% safer than a signalized intersection or standard intersection. Okay. You know, um, without getting too um, technical here, uh, you know, a standard intersection has roughly 32 potential conflict points. Okay. Uh, if you look at diagrams of, you know, how accidents could occur, uh, right-handed crash, left-handed crash through, uh, there's about 32 combinations. I'd like to see that. Yeah. A roundabout uh, <laughs> is only eight. Okay. So you can see the drastic reduction. I tell people too, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, if the power goes out and the, uh, you don't yeah. have to worry about blinking lights. So a roundabout, you yield, you, you know, you yield at the entry and uh, anybody that's in the circulatory lane, uh, has the right of way, and it's simple as that. Uh, it takes every takes people time to get used to it, uh, but we've seen great success in Youngsville. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know the exact statistics, but I'm sure the police department can can give that. But uh, for the best of my knowledge, there has been virtually no accidents, and if an accident, it would be at best a very light fender bender. So okay. we love roundabouts. Uh, so does so does um, you you go around the country. Uh, they're being placed as many places as possible. Yeah. Um, so it's a great it's a great um, type of intersection. So. And so we'll expect one at the end where East Broussard meets. Where East Broussard and Collie Saloon, uh, there's going to be a roundabout there. It's under construction right now. Yeah, exciting. That is exciting. Well, and so balancing all of those projects, what's your from a project management angle? Do you put one on the shelf and then kind of grab the other one, or do they all kind of require your attention? at the same time like how are you juggling multiple like yeah, all these huge um, projects mm -hmm, at the same time sure. well these projects are all occurring at the same time now the good news is that uh the design build project in uh, along um, us naughty uh, in broussard it's nearing completion mm -hmm. but you're right that's calls all day long from contractors with questions and things of that nature but for the most part it's under control but the other two projects are right in the middle of it and yeah, it can be a challenge, but I have a great staff. Uh, it's n trust me, it's not just me working alone. Um, <laughs> okay, that's a great good. staff. We we have uh, several different folks that's monitoring different aspects, whether it's construction questions or design. So yeah, you know, part of project management. You know, yes, there are times where we make decisions in terms of what task is more important than than another. Okay. Um, so uh, that's day to day decisions and. Um, and so that's that's the best way I can explain yeah. it. I mean, they are time driven. Uh, there's, you know, I will tell you this: um, if I have a project under construction versus a project that's under design, if there's a an issue in the field that needs immediate attention, that's going to get my first attention because that will involve money or uh, a, or a delay to the to to the overall construction duration of the project. So. We have to be careful there because uh, contractors, you know, they they, they want to get finished with this job and the public the public expects it. And right. you know, as you know, in South Louisiana, you know, we catch a rain every two or three days. Yes. So, you know, when, <laughs> when, when the going's good, we get, we have to, the contractors Keep it have to get it. So when there's a problem, they need answers quick. So all these things come in into play and in making decisions. And um, so it's just experience and just uh, an overall understanding of the projects. And a nice credit to your team. 
Yes, absolutely. So most people, when they're thinking about roads, um, they're not necessarily thinking about the underlying drainage. How much a part of a roadway project is about drainage, and what are some of the challenges that you face with regard to um, drainage design? Well, you know, drainage is a um, a hot topic, especially in South Louisiana. You know, we're um, we battle in South Louisiana our topography. We're flat. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not like Colorado, for example, uh, but we're very flat. And then compounded to that is the fact that we're we're bounded by tidally influenced water bodies. You know, we uh, we're, we're very close to the Gulf, so we it's not easy for water to get out in South Louisiana. So that's a challenge. Uh, drainage, especially, I think most people would say, uh, I don't know what it is, but lately I just find that there's more. Um, I guess the best way, more intense short duration rainfall events that have caused flooding. So yeah, you know the the, the public gets a perception when they see a little water in the road or. Um, but you know, roads are designed to hold water. Um, you yeah. know, um, for example, let's talk about Kali Saloon, okay. uh, that project that's under construction right now. That's going to, our sub, our drainage system is going to be below the ground using pipes, for example, in okay. lieu of, in lieu of, um, open ditches. Okay. And so what the public's going to first see is a road being built lower than the existing ground around it. And you may ask, well, why would you do that? Well, we want to, we want that roadway to capture the surrounding properties so that they drain into the road, okay. and then we take that water and then uh, direct that water to the roadside catch basins. Those are those boxes you see. Okay. Uh, and so um, um, we typically, uh, just for the general public to know, when we design a road, um, we design it such that theoretically, and and uh, you know it's theoretical, yeah. that we we try not to flood more than half of a travel lane. So for example, if we have a four lane roadway, we don't want to flood half of the outer travel lane that gives the traveling public an opportunity to go around the ponding water okay, okay? how do we do that well we uh, we put more catch basins along the road and we okay. make our pipe bigger but as you know um like i said earlier we're, we're we um our drainage is influenced a lot by our, our what we call our tailwater which means water doesn't get out very easy in south louisiana so there's okay. always water in our conveyance channels even before the rain event starts. So we're battling that fact. So sometimes you'll see roads flash flood a lot quicker than others. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just part of the process. So, um, um, you know, and I think most people, when we, des- when we build new roadways, they don't like really seeing ditches. I mean, ditches are, uh, they're, you got to maintain them. They, they silt up over time. So mm-hmm. uh, we like to put subsurface pipe. It's a little bit more expensive, but um, it, uh, it makes for a better drainage system. So, you know, drainage is a big thing. It's a, it's a hot topic when we talk about our infrastructure. You know, today's podcast is about infrastructure. Drainage is a big topic in infrastructure, and it's it's a never-ending battle. You know, I will tell you, most municipalities, to the best of my knowledge, anytime the weather's nice, they are out there trying to maintain or or or, or clean out ditches or coolies or what have you. Um, if they have the available resources, um, mm-hmm. that can be a challenge. Okay. Uh, but um, certainly as a citizen, um, but also as an engineer, I felt the brunt of, you know, the public in terms of drainage when I, when I formerly uh, did uh, work as a city engineer. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's drainage can be, it's kind of like, you know, when you see that, when you see that weather coming, 
um, you're like, okay, let's hope, I hope there's no flooding today or, you know, or else the phones are going to ring off the hook. But yeah. nevertheless, it's, um, it's something we deal with as engineers all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have floodplains. That's why we, we have ways to, uh, protect people by managing floodplains, uh, but, and roads are no different. So, you know, I was on my way to work and after the completion of the Verot school road, and just after one of those short duration, heavy rains that you mentioned, and I saw a portion of the road that was submerged and just, I mean, I guess I account for the public perception, you know, I don't have any engineering background, but to me, whenever I saw that, I thought, well, is the, is the road failing? But I guess you're saying it's it's built with an intention to maybe hold some water. Well, I've I've seen that too myself. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But uh, I uh, I personally went look uh, at exactly where you're talking about. I don't mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. Um, but soon after that rain rain events over, within mm-hmm. minutes, yeah. that water's gone. Okay. I think what happens is 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 that um, you know the rain event comes in fast and furious, so to speak, and drops a lot of rain and the water just can't get out as fast as it's coming, coming down, so to speak. So, yeah. And especially when you talk about at intersections where you have yeah. a, a side street intersecting the main street, like mm-hmm. on Verrot in that particular example, uh, the concrete's kind of flat at that intersection. So you'll have some ponding right there, but it's, it's very, it's short lived. Okay. What we don't want is that water to stay an hour later okay. you know, uh, on the road. Then, then we have a, a bigger problem. Something so, to investigate. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an interesting, I guess, balance, like a a balance to figure out, okay, well, it can accept water, it can be in the road, but it just can't be in the road for X amount of time. Yeah. Well, let let me just, uh, well, there's really no code that talks about how long water can stay on the road, but let, let let me back up and also say this, you know, I mentioned earlier, we can make anything safe. You know, I've heard the phrase mentioned one time, you know, I, I, you can, I can almost guarantee zero fatalities on a roadway if I make the speed limit five miles an hour. Yeah, but that yeah. would be impractical, right? Right. Um, same thing with drainage. We we do have codes. Uh, we we have to design to some uh, standard. Um, so most of our roadways are designed for, um, uh, depending on what classification is, like a ten year storm, which that really means anywhere from about six to eight inches of rain. Okay. Uh, in a, in a day. Um, and that's kind of the, that's kind of what we designed for. Okay. Um, um, there's exceptions to it, you know, if it's interstates and, and there's different exceptions where we may go to higher storm events. But the point I'm trying to make is if we were to design all of our drainage systems to, for example, the, the standard of the flooding that occurred in August of 2016, where mm-hmm. we caught 23 inches of rain, uh, our roadside pipe, the pipe that we put underneath the road, Instead of being, for example, maybe 24-inch diameter pipe or 30-inch diameter pipe, we might be looking at 72-inch on up. I mean, projects would double or even triple in cost. Okay. So it, and, and, and even if we had the money, we still battle the fact that we may be able to drain the water through these pipes. Uh-huh. But if the water can't get out into the ditches and the coolies and the bayous and the rivers... Uh, that it needs to go because of the remember that tide, the tail water that right. then it's a problem anyway. So there has to be some limit, and okay. so um, it, that that's that's sometimes is not portrayed to the public uh, um, in a way that's easily understandable. But that's just the reality of life. Again, it's a trade off, right? It's yeah. a trade off wants and needs uh, versus what we can afford and what can actually work. So, 
Okay. Well, next time I see standing water on the road just after a rain event, I won't be so harsh in my in my judgment. Just perhaps. be considerate <laughs> of those those facts. Okay. So at um at what stage or in what part of the process are engineers brought in for projects? It seems like it's pretty much from square one, if not before, when things are in the idea realm, and then the engineer's task is to make that idea tangible, feasible, and safe. Um, maybe you could talk about this in the context of the Kali Saloom road widening project as an example. Like, where did you get involved? Was it mm-hmm. whenever the council was just talking about it, or like when the idea was born? Like, when did they call? your service call on your services sure sure well Kali Saloon is a little unique um Kali Saloon um was originally all owned by the state of Louisiana all the way from the airport all the way to E. Broussard and over the years portions of it has have been given up to the city of Lafayette okay well interestingly enough the the segment that's under construction right now from ambassador to E. Broussard was the last remaining piece that needed to be converted to a multi-lane that was still owned by the Louisiana Department of Transportation and uh, actually it was our former uh, president Dr. Cam Ovasagi who was our as I mentioned our former president at CH Fencemaker Associates who was also formerly the secretary of DOTD um, called a meeting here at our office with some of the officials from DOTD and the mayor of Lafayette and threw out on the table, hey, would, would the state consider giving up this last section of road to the city? Uh, and, you know, the state was, um, the best I recall, Collie Saloon was really not on the state's radar for any improvements till at minimum the year 2025. And keep in mind, this was like eight years ago. Okay, So wow. 2025 was way far in the future, right? Okay, so, it wasn't um, on their radar. Right, and the state of Louisiana, um, by legislative uh, statute, they can only own uh, and operate and maintain so many lane miles throughout the state. Okay. And they are near that limit. So the state is constantly looking for local municipalities to take over ownership of some of the state's roadways. Okay. And in turn, the state, if, if the state has any money uh, that's already allocated for that particular roadway corridor, they turn that money over to the city. So for example, um, and don't quote me on the exact numbers, but I want to say the state had about $700,000 okay. for Collie Saloon. So they gave that to the city of Lafayette as seed money. And, oh. and in return, the city of Lafayette now owns that stretch of highway. So that allowed the city of Lafayette or Lafayette Consolidated Government, excuse me, uh, to uh, uh, begin the design process. Um, and so they retain CH Fence to Make and Associates. And, you know, one of the first things involved with the project, and you mentioned engineers being involved at the beginning, um, was whether we were going to design this road as a five-lane road where you have a continuous center turn lane to match the re- the, the existing section of Collie Saloon. Okay. Or designed the road to meet the current adopted planning um, guidelines, which would be a a, a, a a median, have a grass median in the middle. Okay. Um, so we were involved with having public meetings uh, and doing some initial line and grade studies where we, we basically showed that it would be uh, anywhere from around, if I recall, three to four million dollars more if we were to go with a median boulevard like Verod's built. Okay. And so we went through the public process. Uh, we heard pros and cons, uh, and just to keep that section of roadway harmonious, if you will, with the remaining section. Now this right, was a right. new roadway. 
it would have been built with a with a center divided median. Okay. Uh, we elected to go with the five lane section, and so um, just to make it you know match, consistent. if you will, consistent okay. throughout the whole corridor. So we were involved at uh, at the beginning of the project before we even started designing, just in uh, hosting public meetings, uh, doing some preliminary. Um, investigation, estimating some rights of way costs and utility relocations, all those kind of high level things to give us to, to really quantify and make a good decision. And, and so I think that process went well. Um, and, uh, you know, here we are today, we started construction. So that's awesome. It's really an interesting process of how engineers get involved. It seems like y'all are very proactive. I, I will say that I, I think and, and wish that we would get more involved, uh, you know, even in non-engineering related topics, you know, it's, of course, obviously I'm proud of my profession, but, you know, I think generally engineers are, are, are thinkers um, and problem solvers. That's, 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 um, that's what we do. And so, I, you know, you're right, but I'd love to see engineers play more of a role in maybe policy, uh, policy making process, uh, and things of that nature, because I think we have a lot to offer. Um, you know, we're we're objective. Uh, we sometimes say it like it is, and 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 sometimes that's what needs to be said. But uh, you know, we should be able to stand up and give good logical explanations of our opinions of things. So anyway, yeah. So it's uh it's it's an interesting career, and it's been very gratifying. So what does it feel like to see your designs play out in real life? I can imagine <laughs> it would be kind of exhilarating. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I guess certainly I can remember, I don't know, 21, 22 years ago building my first roadway project, which was um, uh, was about 18, 19 years ago, Sellers Trace Boulevard, uh, going through uh, River Ranch. And uh, nervous, uh, but when it, I can remember that, that grand opening, if you will, that was very uh, gratifying um, to know that, hey, I, I worked on that project. And it was me and several people. It wasn't just me, but I was, I did most of the design, but... Um, and of course, as my career went on, um, certainly being more involved as, as um, you know, being the engineer of record on, on bigger projects, certainly gratifying. Um, you know, um, I don't think me personally, I could just be caged up and just design all day and not see the fruits of my labor. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, it's interesting. I, I see some of my projects that have been built and I just vividly recall all the things that went good and some of the things that went bad and just the reality. There's no perfect project. There's no yeah. perfect set of plans. Um, there's no there's no perfect scenario, right? And you're dealing with the elements. You're dealing with rain. You're dealing with contractors. Uh, that's not good or bad. I'm just saying you're dealing with different folks uh, trying to get the job done, the pressures of, of the public. So, you know, it's, it's gratifying, uh, stressful at times. Um, but, you know, I, um, I'm working on several projects right now and and uh, I've been blessed to have not only roadway projects, I mean, you know, whether it's uh, right now I have a, um, um, a multi-million dollar sports complex being built in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Um, uh, and to see that type of project is really fun. Uh, I call it my recreational project because yeah. it's, it is, I am the design engineer of record, but also at the same time, it's it's fun constructing that project or being involved with the construction. Uh, I've done the one in Youngsville and, um, and several of the staff and you know, um, there's always things we would look at doing differently, but each project has their constraints. You know, I wish we had all the property in the world to build a sports complex. And I wish we had all the money in the world to build a sports right. complex. But 
Uh, we don't. And so we have to make do and we have to squeeze things in. And sometimes that comes with with issues. But, uh, you know, learn, learn. It's not every day a sports complex is built. Yeah. Uh, and so, it kind of is transformative for the community. Oh, it I mean, same like is. a roadway is transformative mm. for our community. So I just, I imagine yeah. it would be just really satisfying to either go to a game at the park that you were involved in. Oh, absolutely. Or... Now that I have kids that are young uh, and able to play, it's it is certainly gratifying. But, you know, they all have their, you know, I go to Youngsville and I'm always constantly reminding of the parking problems and I'll take the blame for that. I know a lot <laughs> of people get frustrated. But, you know, when we were designing that project, um, we only had 70 acres of land. And by the time you put all these large fields, you don't have much room left. And, you know, we were worried that, you know, the last thing we wanted to do was build this really nice facility, mm-hmm. but did, but not have enough parking stalls and risk losing out on bidding out a tournament. A lot of these tournaments, I don't know if you know, but uh, there's different sports parks that bid on it and you get selected. So, okay. but and they look for certain things, you know, depending on the tournament, they look mm-hmm. for things uh, related to the fields. They look for things related to the cleanliness of the facility and, and certainly parking and all those kind of things. And okay. They take out so we account. wanted to make sure we had enough parking stalls. And even with the stalls we have out there, there's still not enough. And so we had to be a little creative. Uh, and of course, in Youngsville, you know, we were, we, we have a couple of little traffic circles or call them roundabouts, some little mini roundabouts. And then that, the idea there was just to uh, do a lot of traffic calming. A lot of people tell me, why, why do you have all these little roundabouts in there? I think there's three or four of them in there. I tell you one thing though, you drive through that facility, you can't go fast. And that's the whole idea because there's kids running all over all the place. Over. I mean, there's kids everywhere carrying their baseball bags, oh, yeah. bags and all that. So, um, you know, um, I'm okay with that, you know, and if it's, and you know, it, it's, you know, we're in South Louisiana, Catherine, everybody has a truck. I, I guess I didn't design, design for the fact <laughs> that everybody has an F-250 truck parking in the yeah. parking lot. So it takes, it take these trucks take two stalls. So, right. you know, that's probably one thing I would change if I had more mm. room. Uh, but, uh, you know, every project has its thing. So yeah, in summary, uh, very gratifying, um, yeah. very gratifying to have a ribbon cutting and to see your family there, uh, enjoying that proud moment with you, um, yeah, and that's team awesome. that worked on it. So, yeah, that's really cool. How long have you been in the engineering field and in all of your projects to date, what are some of the things that you've learned and perhaps some advice that you might give to those who are up and coming in their profession? Right, right. So I graduated in 1997. Okay. Uh, from at the time USL. University uh-huh. of Southwest Louisiana here in Lafayette. I uh, graduated with a degree in civil engineering. Uh, so I've been practicing since then. So um, um, I've been here at CH Fenstermaker and Associates for 21 years. And, you know, I would say in terms of lessons learned, um, you know, especially when we're designing projects with the intent of those projects going out to construction, uh, I've learned contractors who actually build the projects have a lot of experience to offer you. And so... You know, it's, I, I tell, what I tell people is don't let your pride get to you. Ask for advice. Ask those that's going to build it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they've seen what can go wrong. They know what's best. And so that would be uh, one thing. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, as engineers, we need to be thinkers. Um, um, we're not, we're, we're not going to have just, uh, issues brought to us with the solutions. No, we're being asked to develop these solutions. So we need to be thinkers. Uh, and, and at the same time, we need to have good, realistic expectations of what the outcome would be. Okay. 
you know, a lot of times we're so driven by as engineers equations and the answer needs to be this. Well, but what if we make a mistake in that process? If the answer is 10 and you come up with a hundred, well, do you recognize how far off that answer is wrong? So we need to be, we need to, we need to have expectations of what the outcome should be. Um, okay. Um, you know, one thing I also say too is a lot of times never, don't wait to be asked. Uh, uh, but rather be proactive and offer logical responses. Be part of conversations. Don't wait to be asked. Because we, again, we are thinkers. We are, we are, we should, we have been trained to research, to study, Mm -hmm. to analyze, to break down things in detail. So, you know, and another thing I've learned, um, changes is, is inevitable. Uh, changes in projects, you know, just like when you think you have a project all designed and you're ready to submit to the client, they make a significant change okay. and it just disrupts the staff. And we all, I can't believe we got to redo this again. And that's just the way it goes. Um, and lastly, this is something that, um, you know, I'm going to say this, don't let public perception or comments distract you from doing the right thing. You know, this day and age with social media is so easy for uh, negativity to creep in because there's no consequence. And that's, that's a topic in itself, but when we're designing projects mm-hmm. and it goes to construction, and if you really want to spend time looking at social media, it's amazing how many people out there negatively negatively commenting on things, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I've learned to just let that go and let the project finish because when it's open, people are going to enjoy it. You know? right, when right. Verrott School Road opened, um, I, that's, that wasn't my project, but I can tell you uh, I knew what, as an engineer – who has designed projects like that, I could respect the fact of several of the issues that went on during construction. I, I, I kind of had a respect for that. And I said, well, that, that, that's normal, so to speak. Right. But having said that, now I think most people would say, you can travel so much more efficiently on this side of Lafayette with Barrow School Road. So, Definitely. You know, I think, uh, you know, I, w- I would tell anybody uh, new in the career, uh, uh, be a thinker, offer mm-hmm. a logical response, be part of the conversation. Uh, engineers in general, you know, a lot uh, more often than not, we're kind of not all of us, but I'm painting with a wide brush, but tend to be timid. Okay. Uh, but uh, we need to be more vocal um, uh, and uh, and be more proactive. Uh, and uh, and you know, you got to try. Uh, you know, some of the greatest engineering feats that's ever been done didn't come with failures. Uh, I think you can go back in history and look at a lot of failures, whether it was failures of building structures or bridges that have fallen down or things of that nature. So. Um, you know, so anyway, so yeah, that'd be my advice. Okay, that's good. Lessons learned, shall I say? Yeah. Well, thank you for all of those. And just, uh, just on like a mentoring kind of tip, are there any programs, organizations that you would recommend aspiring engineers to become a part of, um, or take part in, or, or in addition to that, are there any publications that you're tuned into that may be of interest to those looking to get into the engineering field? Well, the uh, my quick answer, the most direct way, I guess, mm-hmm. would be to involve. Uh, my assumption is that, you know, assuming somebody's in the engineering program at, at a university, I would say the first thing you want to do is maybe get involved. Uh, our immediate organization is called the American Society of Civil Engineers, mm-hmm. um, and so I would, I would, I would advise that that person uh, be involved, be an active member. It's one thing to be a member, but it's another to be an active participant whether that be on the board, 
whether it's a secretary, treasurer, whatever, be involved. So the American Society of Civil Engineers is obviously geared to uh, promoting civil engineering, um, uh, and not just promoting, but being a source uh, to go to, whether it's uh, it might be the media that might be putting out a, a news report on some engineering issue that has occurred. Typically, they'll go out to the American Society of Civil Engineers for comment. So that would be the first thing. Uh, you know, the second thing is 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 it doesn't have to be an engineering organization. You know, it could be could be any type of organization. It could be Kiwanis Club. It could be the Rotary. I- anything. I, I think it's important. It could be your local church. It could be your local community. Whatever it may be. It could be being on a council. Um, I, I, again, I'll, I'll say it. I think I think as engineers, we do not get involved as much on or involved on councils or involved in commissions or whatever that are policy driven where we, uh, we have something to offer the table. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm not saying on political bodies, but uh, it could be that too. But the point is, is that, um, I think we have something to offer. Um, Definitely. And, and so, um, other than that, just being involved and, uh, like, like we all should, right. As Kevin, it doesn't matter whether you're engineering, engineering or not, you know, we, we should be involved, you know? Uh, so, and any like magazines or any like any periodicals? No, no magazines. I mean, the American Society of Civil Engineers puts out its okay. mo- its we- monthly magazine. Um, of course, journals. That would depend on what you interested in. There's um, if you're interested in the field of transportation versus the field of hydraulics or different applications of civil engineering, then you would subscribe to those particular journals that that okay. are specific, right? So. There is a whole slew of them out there. So okay, um, just recommend people to go and check it out. I would say your first your first stop would be the American Society of Civil Engineers, and then if you just go to their website, kind of branch out from there. You'll go to their website, and you can see all the different branches (laughs) and all the different journals you can subscribe to and and get publications. Or that's awesome. So a closing question um, that I just ask all of the guests that we have um, in the spirit of Fueled, you know, the podcast name, what fuels you just in general, in life, career, work, family, what keeps you going? Well, um, you know, engineering is a team, a team sport. Um, you know, when you think about a project, it, 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 uh, it involves designers, uh, engineer interns who are helping design. It, it includes uh, CAD technicians who's doing all the drawings. Certainly that team aspect, but more importantly, the relationships. I mean, when you think about it, it's like any, it doesn't matter where you work, but or what, or what your career is. When you think about the fact that we work together eight hours a day, it's your second family. So certainly that the, the fact that I have a good group uh, where we have good chemistry uh, and good friendships, out, even outside of work, uh, that that fuels me to keep going. Uh, certainly, some of the things we mentioned today, um, you know, getting involved with projects that maybe I've never done before. That's kind of fun. Um, uh, mentioned sports complexes. You know, th- that's non-typical to civil engineers. Unlike, as com- or excuse me, shall I say, as compared to like transportation projects, water, sewer, all the different types, but. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, of course, family and friends and all that, you know, I just, that, that's, that's where my peace is obtained from. But, uh, um, you know, you know, I often say, you know, when five o'clock comes around, um, we, our work doesn't stop, you know, our brains right. keep going, our projects and we're not, you know, there's many professions like that. We're not, we're not really producing physical labor all day long where we can turn off the equipment 
and go home and right. start it up in the morning and start again, right? Right. And so that has to be harnessed a little bit. That that that's probably I would say my challenge is that, and anybody's challenge would be to know when to kind of turn it off, uh, because we really work. Our mind is working, you know, and thinking uh, about these projects, whether it's deadlines. You remember earlier how we balance all these projects? Right. Right. Um, satisfying the client. Um, and uh, manage our infrastructure, which is today's podcast, right? So. Yeah. So just finding a way to kind of turn everything off, like work-related, and find your peace, like mm -hmm. with your family sure. and sure. in your personal life. Ab and absolutely. Um, sounds easier said than done, right? But, yeah. Uh, uh, it's fun. You know, life is short. Make the best of it. Well, I think that's a perfect ending for our podcast. And thank you so much, Docs, for your time today. Thank you, Catherine.